But we've trained the public so well right now to rely on a pill for an ill and to rely on the, I call it the M deity and the final say in all things, um, that we're seeing the results of that in the society that we live in. I turned 50, y'all, and I started a podcast. Really, age is just a number. It comes down to how we choose to live and the choices we make in our life and those things accumulate. Don't let the programming of life keep you from doing things every single day that, that make you happy. When we feel good, it's easy to think good. Life is not happening to you. You are your life. You are happening to your life. Welcome to the podcast. In this episode, I talked to Dr. Michael Nelson. He's a functional medicine doctor turned scientist, and he works to develop products using uh, the most updated science and technology that help our bodies perform at their best and most importantly, prevent disease. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Dr. Michael Nelson and make today a good day to die. So, so what are you what are you up to this weekend besides this? What is what is uh, Dr. Nelson do on a well, random um, weekend in May. Yeah. Um, well, it's <laughs> last weekend. I think it was snowing. So, um, I, you know, during the weekends, it allows me time to kind of recover in a way. Um, I get to, I actually get to focus a little bit more on, um, some more in depth work on science. I love reading science. So I'm deeply involved right now in, in putting together some, uh, some pieces on the taurine, um, uh, the taurine molecule for neurological health. It's a really, I think it's a misunderstood um, a molecule <clears throat> that has profound impact. So I like to do some science during the weekend. Um, I definitely recreate. I already boxed this morning and did some weightlifting. And then where do you go? I go to Colin Club um, right down the street here. It's yeah. So, um, so I, I, there's a group that I box with there and, um, it's, I've never really done boxing except for, I know you used to do it. And I remember you coming, posting these videos of you sweating. I'm like, wow, that looks intense and, um, totally appreciate the sweat now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and seriously, probably some of the best shape I've been in my life doing the boxing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it it's amazing. It's challenging mentally and physically. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then on then I'll um, later today I'll definitely uh, I'll, I'll get out in nature every weekend. Um, I live where there's trails and I can walk, or I'll maybe I'll go up to the lake and you know just get away and just spend some time. Um, I've got a fairly strong routine in my life just because of how it allows me to be, um, productive. So I, I keep a fairly tight, uh, schedule, um, so that I can get and accomplish some of the things I'm trying to accomplish. I'm very dedicated to what I'm doing. So, uh, and I like it. I love what I do. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, I probably should expand mm -hmm. my bandwidth a little bit to uh, do some, you know, incorporate maybe a little more social things. But right now I know that what I've got in front of me is really important. I saw, I saw on Instagram, I don't know if you saw, I posted it. It was this, um, 
me just go there and tell you what it says. Oh, at some point, you got to be real with yourself about the gap between the life you want to live and the life that your daily habits are leading you towards. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and it sounds like you're, it, what you're doing is you're, you're in alignment. Your daily habits are in alignment with what you want out of your life. Yeah. You know, and I think most people, we say we want to live a certain way or we want health or we want to be productive. We want to achieve certain things. You know, we want to be 10 pounds lighter, me. Um, but yet my daily habits, our daily habits won't, don't necessarily line up. Yeah with those things, but you do, you're, you're obviously, um, I don't want, not the word regimented, but, um, you're, you're focused and disciplined is the word disciplined. Yeah. And, and one of those things I know we've talked about in the past that you are very disciplined, um, is in the, the way you eat and, and, um, you know, what you consume. I know that, that you're, you're disciplined in that way as well. Yeah. Um, and I want to get to that. I want to get to that, but I, I, I do want to start off with, if, if, if you wouldn't mind, I'd, I'm really curious to kind of have a little bit more of a background of kind of how you got to where you are today, um, as the owner and CEO of a nutrace nutraceutical manufacturing company. Um, I like to call you the mad scientist, um, you know, because you are an inventor, um, you do obviously love to take your weekends and learn about taurine and how it impacts, you know, <laughs> our health, yeah. you know, so you're definitely, um, I lovingly call you the mad scientist cause, cause you, you, you really love to create and learn and, and invent. Um, but I'm just curious, like, how did you get here? Like what, what brought you along to this path? Um, and if you wouldn't mind sharing that a little bit sure. with me, I know, I know the, the outline of it, but I don't, I'd like you to flesh it out a little bit sure. for me. Sure. Um, <clears throat> so I guess, you know, my, I think my upbringing had a big impact on who I am today. So if I look back in my, at my childhood, <clears throat> I grew up in a, in a household that was always, um, kind of dedicated to, uh, learning, if you will. Um, both my parents came from, uh, North Dakota and they, they were the, they were, uh, had families, you know, they were from families and they were the only, um, people from their families that moved West to California where I was born. Um, and I was born in a small area in Northern California, Mendocino County. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, my first memories of life literally are, um, my dad <clears throat> carrying me down to the banks of the Smith river and taking me fishing and, you know, and just being like, Oh my goodness, this is unbelievable. And my dad was my hero. So I would, you know, I grew up in this, this magical environment of the redwoods, you know, my first memories of life. And, um, and at the same time I had three sisters, <laughs> I was the only boy. So, um, there were some uniquenesses there in, in, in just in the way in which, um, male and females are, uh, you know, brought up. And, um, I'd never felt like there was any segregation between the two, but there were differences. And, um, 
And, and so I think that upbringing really was instrumental in um, kind of cr- creating this, this independence and this curiosity and this, um, uh, you know, wanting to forge my own trail because I felt like I was, you know, I was already forging my own trail in, in my family unit dynamic because I'm the only male. And um, I would go back to <clears throat> North Dakota every summer. We would drive back. Both my, my parents were educators, so they were teachers. And um, they would teach up until we would have to go to summer school. And then we would drive back to North Dakota from California every summer, no air conditioning in a station wagon with four children and um, work on the farm. And my, my grandparents had a, a large farm with cattle and wheat and flax and alfalfa and, you know, all the attributes of a farm that were right there. And there was no television. There was no, like, you know, electronic uh, media for us to consume at all. In fact, our nearest neighbors were five miles away. So we were, we were, we were sequestered in this little place uh, in North Dakota, and I was never bored. And I learned how to drive a tractor. I learned how to, you know, help my dad bale hay and buck hay and do all the things and help my grandfather brand cattle and go take him lunch and drive the combine, the truck that would dump the stuff in the combine. And, you know, I was doing that at an early age. And then also seeing the kind of the ebb and flow of life, wildlife, and, you know, how things worked on a farm and where things came from. So I, I, and I, I'd come back to California after being there for the, the summer and my friends were, had no clue, uh, you know, and I was, you know, obviously being, you know, taught, you know, where, what all this stuff does and how all this stuff works. And I'm thinking, you know, that, 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 uh, that bread that came, comes off the counter there right. comes from a farm. And I, that just imprinted heavily with me. Um, and watching my mm-hmm. grandfather working so hard, he was born on the, the farm that, he, that we worked on. Um, so I gained a really strong appreciation for, um, I think kind of the, the way in which life uh, was at one point. Um, because we would almost go back in time when you go to a farm at that point, because everything was like, you know, it was a it was somewhat of a throwback to where we were at when I would come back to California. And so I I thought, wow, this is really interesting. I really like that. And I saw those people were so simple, but, but so happy. And I saw all these other people, you know, mm-hmm. back into society. And I lived in a small town in California, but so, saw them being so overwhelmed with the the stresses of what was going on. So, um, so that that made a big impact on me, and I know it made a big impact on my my sisters. And we've tried to kind of distribute that knowledge to the children that we all have, so that they understand. And I think they they gain mm-hmm. some of those that appreciation for it. Um, and then I, you know, my parents were, were because they were the only ones from their families that moved to California from North Dakota. Um, they were, they were different, right? They were thinking more, um, they, I think they were, uh, more evolved in their thinking and they also didn't want us to be exposed to the things that were, um, seemingly harmful, um, like television, 
Um, so we couldn't watch TV growing up. We had, and I remember going over to a friend's house and, and they had TV and it's like, wow, that's a mom, <laughs> get a TV. And we just couldn't watch it. You know, that she called it the idiot box. And, uh, so we never, we were always, really? you know, we were always encouraged to read and to, you know, study. We, my mom was a taught educationally handicapped children and she taught at the university level and then all through the school district. And so, and my dad was an English and math teacher and he, they both had their master's degrees and, um, they were very in, into family and, um, you know, the children that they were teaching. And I remember having such high regard for teachers because my parents were teachers and I held, held them at such high esteem. Um, <clears throat> but we were always, you know, doing stuff. We either were, you know, I was working from mowing lawns or, you know, digging the mm -hmm. garden up to find worms so I could go fishing, um, not TV or reading mm -hmm. or doing something. And so that curiosity mm -hmm. has stuck with me um, for my entire mm -hmm. life. I just really, I really um, enjoy learning. Um, I still have a huge thirst for learning because there's, and, and what, we're, what mm -hmm. I'm learning today. Um, I couldn't find more exciting because the field is so rapidly evolving and starting to come to fruition in many ways and seeing the, you know, technology and biology come together in such a way that it, it's, um, it's just super exciting. So I think my childhood definitely it is exciting. Yeah, we had a, had a huge impact on how I, how I see the world. Um, I became a father at 19 and so, um, I was a very young father and I took that super seriously. Yeah. So I, were you in college at the time was, or what were you doing? Yeah, I was in college. And so I had to drop out of college for a couple of years and, um, work. And I had to just basically make it on my own cause I had a mouth to feed. And, um, uh, that was, you know, you, you look at little, little marks along the, the road that you're of your life. That's a, that was a big mark. And that was, that was something that really, um, was, I took so seriously. I mean, I really, I looked at my, my son, Matthew, and I thought, I, you know, this is, this is, I want to be the, I want to be the father for him that my dad was for me so that I can actually raise him. And when I look back at how he was raised, he was raised so similarly to the way I was raised. He was, you know, taught how to, you know, go out in nature and fish and hike and, you know, always being active outside and just have it. And he still, to this day, he has a huge appreciation for nature. He loves nature. I just love, I love that. Um, so, you know, those, all those things kind of, you know, add to the, the, the texture and the, the kind of the way in which you start to see your, your, your life come together um, I went back to college. So was Ma was Matthew living with you? Yeah, I raised him. Yeah, I literally raised him. Um, his mom kind of dropped out of the picture, and I was a single father for shoot um, seven years. And um, and I went. To, I remember I used to take him to college um, with me, and I would I would literally I oh, worked this swing shift, and then I would come home, and I I was living in this, uh, I was renting a room in this house that my sister lived in. So, uh, I could, I could stay there and I, afford it. 
and I worked at a health food store in in Northern California, which was great because I I got to you know basically eat, and um, and then I would come right. home and I would take Matthew to school with me, and he would I the girls loved him because he was cute. And I would sit in the front row and they would all sit in the back and then they would let him draw while I'm sitting in the lectures to try and pass the class so I could get my degree and um, go on up. Isn't that amazing? They would let you take your kid to class. Yeah. I had no choice. I couldn't afford, um, you know, I couldn't afford to drop him off. I know, but I'm just surprised they allowed you to. He was a good kid. And um, I think they appreciated (laughs) the fact that I wanted to be there and learn. Uh, And it was, you know... I was, a, and what were you- I was a young father. Yeah. And you want yeah, to put your um, ego in your pocket real fast when you're a father. You just have to do what you have to do and um, get it done. Yeah. Yeah. So what were you in school for? What were you studying? So um, I originally um, went to college to study uh uh, some business stuff. And I was interested in business, um, mostly because I needed to make a living of some sort. So I was looking at, um, a business degree. And then I realized that really wasn't very interesting to me after I caught wind of science. And, um, I had a really good instructor down in Los Angeles and he just lit me on fire with biology and I was like, he was a teacher. He was an instructor at uh, Caltech. And I was going to a junior college down in Pasadena, Pasadena City College. And um, I, uh, I, um, he started teaching science. And I thought, well, I'm going to, uh, I got really interested. And he just, for some reason, he just, he struck a chord with me. And I was like, wow, this is super mm-hmm. interesting. So, um, so then I moved back up to Northern California with my son and, um, I, I got a, my undergrad degree in respiratory therapy and, um, I started working up here in Reno in the neonatal intensive care nursery. I got hired before I graduated and, um, I was, I was, <laughs> I had never set foot into a, a neonatal unit ever. And it appeared that everybody was afraid to be in there because it was such a, you know, it was very threatening to be in such a, an environment where life and death could happen at the drop of a hat. And to me, I looked at it and I thought, right. wow, this is unbelievably interesting. And so I... Um, so you were doing respiratory therapy for, for premature babies? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was the youngest member wow. of the, uh, the transport team here. Um, and we used to do fixed wing transport all over, um, the state of Nevada. We'd get up in the middle of the night and fly out and pick up babies from Tonopah, Winnemucca, uh, Elko, um, wherever, uh, Susanville. Really? Everywhere. And, um, and then I, obviously I I worked in the unit too. So, uh, went to, I literally went to hundreds, if not thousands of high risk deliveries so I got to see the miracle of life and I never got, I, it was just, I was just, I had a, I was just in awe of the resilience of life when I would watch these premature kids come out and then we would. That's amazing. We, and I, we would save their lives, right? Cause they're the big thing with a premature baby is they had respiratory insufficiency. They couldn't breathe. So you've got ch- children that are 300 grams. They could fit into the palm of your hand. And their hands aren't as big as your thumb. 
And, um, and I never, I never got tired of the, the miracle of that. I thought, holy cow, that is just, and these kids would, we would, we would stabilize them. We would, um, you know, they go through their ups and downs, but we would, we would put them all the way through the unit, you know, and then we would release them to the parents and you really got to know the children. Um, you know, they might, they might only be, you know, four pounds, but, um, when they finally left, but they started at under a pound often. Unbelievable. yeah, it was, it's, and I, I really, um, value that experience a lot with my, um, my, yeah. And then as I went on into chiropractic, um, taking that experience into the chiropractic world and the functional medicine world and, um, recognizing that, you know, we can do a lot with our, our lifestyle and our decisions that we make, um, to make ourselves healthy. Um, and so I took that, that, Would, into that. I, I want to interrupt you. Did you, did you have that realization because you saw a lot of premature babies coming to people with lifestyle issues that were causing the premature babies? Um, or, I don't think it, where's the link there. The link came from the fact that when I've got this child that is so fragile, and so reliant on everything that we're putting into it. And you would, you would look at these, these children, they really looked like they were like fetuses. They were that tiny. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, sometimes their eyes were fused. I mean, they're that, they're that premature. Their skin was so premature that we had to put special humidity inside the incubators in order for the skin not to dry out and they'd lose all their moisture and they'd die. Uh, and their skin would crack and they'd bleed and all that stuff. So um, what it, I guess what I I'm, took away from that is that if that ch- child can, can progress through this and, with the proper care and nurturing, then there's no reason why you as a person who's in a state of chronic disease can't also start to make some decisions and start to make some changes that will impact your health. Mm. And so what, what made you go towards chiropractic, um, training? Yeah, Yeah, I originally was, uh, uh, going into the medical school here and, um, the medical director at the uh, neonatal unit that I had really liked me and he really was encouraging me to go through med school and he goes, you've got it. Mm-hmm. You are good. You can do this. This is, I'll write you your letter of recommendation. And so <clears throat> I uh, started that process and was going through the, all the hoops that you have to go through to get in there. Um, and I, I just got cold feet. I thought, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be, this is when beepers were around. I don't know if you remember beepers, but before cell phones. I, I do. You know, yeah. So I do. Everybody had a beeper on their pocket. They were always going off. They were always getting notifications. They were always, you know, coming in in the middle of the night. They were doing all this stuff. They were treating chronic disease. They were um, basically putting band-aids on gaping wounds that, and then getting them out and discharging them and then having them recome back into the system and never really solving the problem. And, you know, I would spend, you know, hours and hours and hours with these physicians and they weren't healthy and they really didn't have anything that their, their concept of health wasn't even intact. They just knew how to treat 
an acute exacerbation of a chronic condition. And I didn't, I didn't have, I, I wasn't raised that way. So I did not feel like that would be a good fit for me. So I chose chiropractic because at the time it was a portal of entry. Um, uh, you were considered a portal of entry physician, meaning that you could diagnose anything that came your way and maybe mm-hmm. you couldn't treat it all, but you could at least have the skills and the tools to diagnose it and order the correct tests and blood tests. And, and you could get reimbursed through the insurance reimbursement system that was intact then. Um, it's, it's, it's lost a lot of its, um, capabilities, you know, over the last 10 years or so because did, of reimbursement. Did they allow, did they give chiropractor, chiropractic doctors that, um, scope of practice due to a lack of primary care physicians in the United States at the time, or, or that's just how DC's always were. And then it's eroded, their scope has eroded since then. Or is there another reason why they were able to act as a primary care almost? Yeah, it's not. So primary care and portal of entry are two different things. Primary care is like, I'm going to be a, your general practitioner that's going to, you know, administer your, your, all your vaccines and all the things that they do to, to kind of check up on you and, and make you healthy. Portal of entry means that you can come to me as a physician and I can, I should be capable of diagnosing any of the conditions that you might come in with or order the correct tests and that type of stuff. So there is a slight difference there. I think, um, the chiropractic scope varies from state to state. Um, I chose to go to uh, university of Western States in Portland, Oregon, because of its, um, its breadth and depth of education. They can deliver babies up there. They do women's uh, health care uh, very extensively up there. They do a, they have minor surgery um, that they can It sounds do. like naturopathic medicine. It is. It was very much like that. In fact, I, I, I was going between uh, naturopathic, Bastyr, and um, chiropractic, and I chose Western States because it was so, uh, it was actually a little bit better than uh, what I was seeing Bastyr was offering. And what year was this? 1990. Okay. Yeah. So you, you decided to become a chiropractor. Yeah. And I moved, uh, Matthew and my wife up there with me and, um, I just started forging ahead and, going for it. And, um, I, I actually, um, my first six months up there, I ran into a, the work of a, of a gentleman called Jeff Bland and Jeff Bland is the founder and the creator of functional medicine. It wasn't even called functional medicine at the time. Um, really? I've never heard of him. Yeah. He's the founder. He's, he's still a friend. He's an amazing individual. Um, and so and, he was living uh, in Portland. He, uh, he lives in the Pacific Northwest still. He's up uh, in uh, Tacoma, um, and uh-huh. he um, he was a lecturer, but he taught at a number of universities, and he worked with Linus Pauling, um, and he's just uh, uh-huh. he's, he is absolutely at and has been at the forefront of. Um, what functional medicine and personalized medicine and systems biology is for, you know, the last 30 plus years. 
um, and just an amazing individual, still very active today, very, very engaged. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so you, you kind of yeah. started, you met him and were trained by him and inspired by him. And, and yep. this is during your chiropractic training. Yeah. So I started following his work and started really diving into kind of his, 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 um, way in which he thought because he thought differently. He thought he was a big thinker. And um, <clears throat> it was, it just clicked with me. And I think most people that when they start to hear him speak that have any educational background in biology and um, kind of systems linkages, they, they automatically get what he's saying and they're like, yeah, that mm -hmm. makes sense. And then he backs it up with a tremendous amount of research and um, science that supports his, his premise. Um, so yeah, so I hooked up uh, with that and, um, started really studying that and, uh, learning all about functional medicine. And then when I graduated, I, I, um, I, I didn't want to work for anybody cause I wanted to do functional medicine and nobody was doing functional medicine at the time. They didn't even, they didn't even know the term. And so I set up my own clinic, um, with, uh, we had a combination of rehabilitation. We were the first people to do Pilates because um, we did Pilates-based rehabilitation um, back in the, the mid-90s. So amazing. And, yeah. What, and where then, did that come from? I mean, where, how does that come into your brain? I'm going to integrate Pilates into my practice. Yeah. yeah. So um, w during school, I, I, I was out of college for uh, almost seven years before I went back into college, right? So I'd, I'd been working in the neonatal intensive care nursery and, and really diving into, you know, emergency style medicine. And so that was hands on. And then I go to college and I'm like, oh my God, there's 40 hours of classroom on top of like three to four hours a night of studying, hardcore studying. And they want me to know everything, everything. So Western States notorious for uh, the highest and the hardest uh, chiropractic college in the nation. And they always set okay. the bar at the highest level for boards, exams and all that stuff. So they're, they're considered the toughest. Nobody likes to go there because of it. <laughs> I wanted to go there because of the education. So um, I started getting into this and I, I stopped exercising as much as I was. <clears throat> and I was exercising quite a bit before then, you know, lifting weights, doing cycling, racing bikes, um, swimming, doing all this stuff to stay physically and mentally fit. And I, I pushed all that aside and started focusing in on my studying. And then during one of the breaks, I got on my bike and started riding. And I, I was so out of shape. I was like, Oh my God, I can't let this happen. I can't do this to me. Cause I'm not, that's not why I'm here. I'm here to be healthy and, and to be an example on top of what I'm trying to learn. And so I committed right then to doing that. And, and, and as I was moving and I've recognized the impact that that was having, and I was watching the people around me just, just dive and they were just getting, they were getting depressed and they were getting out of shape. And so I started looking at ways to incorporate exercise into my practice when I graduated um, so I could have that component of it because I didn't, you know, I could tell somebody to do something, but they might not do it or they might not be capable of doing it because of the injury. So I ran into this um, article in the Oregonian about <clears throat> this guy named Joseph Pilates. And there was this one girl in the city of Portland that was doing 
Pilates on this thing called the Reformer. And uh, I made an appointment with her and I said, I want to I learn this. And so I went in there and I, I go, this makes total sense. This is neurologically in, um, based. It's you, you feel like you, you really have to engage your mental attributes in order for you to move your body um, correctly. And you have to reprogram a lot of the kinematics that might be altered as a result of modern lifestyle injury and just disorganization in your movement and how that can be so beneficial long term if you can really um, start to own it with this rehabilitative process and you can be less subjected to potential injuries. So I thought this would be a perfect fit for um, my practice with a functional medicine and a functional rehabilitation component. So that's mm. what I started with and I did that and um, got certified in this thing called Polestar which was kind of more of a physical therapy rehabilitative style and um, started offering that to my patients. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. I've been thinking yeah. about Pilates lately. I, I I have this connotation in my brain about Pilates being about like older women, you know, of a certain age and that at some point they start doing Pilates. And so I think I've been resisting doing Pilates because I'm like, I am that woman, but <laughs> it's, it's yeah. like, it's like really good for you. Right. Like it, it, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. It's, it, well, the thing I liked about it was, um, for a lot of the movements that we're trying to, to get people to do, um, weight bearing wise, you can put them in a non weight bearing uh -huh. environment, like on the, the reformer, and you can, mm -hmm. you can mimic that same kind of uh, dynamic without the threat right. of falling or having to brace or having to adjust because of the gravity. So you can start to re-engage neurologically those patterns that are being um, disrupted for a number of reasons and start to reprocess that so that when you do get weight bearing, you have better dynamics and control um, and, and less, uh, likelihood of injury. And so it, it was really good. Um, and, and I mean, <clears throat> I, I, I do some of this dead bug st stuff still. And, um, it's so funny how so many of the classes are incorporating variations of Pilates, even the yoga stuff that yeah. I do has some Pilates mm -hmm. components to it too. D did you say dead bug? Yeah, dead bugs. You know, have you heard of dead bugs? No. Yeah, so so dead about. bugs are dead bugs are the um when you raise your feet and your arms and you cross crawl and you're on your back and you're acting like a dead bug and you're integrating the hemisphere <laughs> of your brain. You serious? Yeah, they call it dead bugs. It's a it's a term in the Pilates uh nomenclature. But um, it's, it's a way to uh, engage both sides of your hemispheres, cross-crawling, and, um, and then um, kind of wake up your spine a little bit. Huh. And, yeah. Interesting. So <laughs> I, I, it, I, that, that to me is fascinating. But um, I want to I wanna circle back. I don't want to lose um, – I want to get back to what you were saying about how when you were in medical school – or no, I'm sorry. How when you were in in respiratory therapy and you were in the hospital setting, 
you saw all the doctors running around with the beepers and they were unhealthy and they were always on call. And then when you were in medical school, uh, uh, you uh, let go of your own exercise self-care practice and and how you at one point said, I want to, that's not how life, that's not how I want to live life. And also I want to be an example of what I'm studying and what I'm going to be practicing. You wanted to be an example of that as well. And, 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 and I love how you just say that it was like so obvious to you that the allopathic, um, path, um, the allopathic healthcare paradigm was, it was so obvious to you that that, um, was, was not something that made, it didn't make sense to you. It, it, it was illogical almost. I mean, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but, um, you know, and, and you just really were attracted to this functional, um, um, connected systems approach. Um, you know, you've mentioned the word lifestyle. And I mean, I think this is, you know, you and I, when, when we first met, I don't know how many years ago it was, it was probably close to 10 years ago. No, maybe eight years ago. Mm -hmm. I don't know how long it was. But one of the things I was attracted to you about is that your perspective on life is this, you know, integrated, functional, um, connected, you know, um, approach to health in that, you know, um, we have the ability through the way we live our life to, to have the greatest impact, positive or negative, on our own health outcomes. And that the answer is, you know, it really is as simple of it. The answer is not outside of us. The answer is inside of us, really. Would you not agree with that? hundred percent. And it's what's so astonishing to me is how I would say 80, 80% of the world believes that their health and their outcomes and their everything lives outside of themselves. Yeah. I don't know if you would agree with that percentage, but it feels like most people are so disconnected from, from the knowing, from, from their own inner knowing, you yeah. know, and, and from that. And it's, it's astonishing to me. And so I remember when I met you and just, you know, having an instant understanding of that this is what your perspective was and saying, ah, I found, I found a like-minded individual. No. Um, it, it was so lovely. But my question really for you is how do you think in this day and age, how can there be still so many people? I mean, literally all of the traditional medical schools are allopathic medical schools and they don't teach anything extensive in nutrition or even how, you know, uh, by, by, biological systems are interconnected or, you know, I mean, even how the mind body connection, you know, how in this day and age can it be that there's such a, a disconnect between what we know um, affects our health and what is taught in medical schools. And then therefore what's propagated out between doctor and patient into the world and through our media and through all of this, how do you explain that? I would yeah. like you to, 
<laughs> yeah, I wish I had. <laughs> I don't think I can, but um, it is it is a big that's a big big uh, question, and um, I'm I have close friends still up at the medical school um, that teach there. Once and they're they're they suffer from the same um, frustrations that you're you're expressing. And there is this disconnect. And I think that's the first thing that needs to take place is that recognition that there is something missing. Um, And because that will open up potentially some new ways of thinking about what is missing and how do we incorporate something new into this paradigm that could be of benefit and use. Um, But we've trained the public so well right now to rely on a pill for an ill and to rely on the, uh, I call it the MD deity, the doctor that with the the you know white robe and the MD deity, and the final say in all things, um, that we 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 are <clears throat> we're seeing the results of that in the society that we live in. So we no longer will ask the question, "What can I do?" but "What can they do?" And when we stop asking what can they do and what can I and turn it back on ourselves, then that's when I believe we start to see those things start to change. And they're they're changing. And sometimes change is, is and always change is very um, well, I like the saying that um, change is nature's delight. And um, but oftentimes change is very turbulent and trying and um, painful and traumatic and I think, you know, we're going to be going through some of that change just as a result of of how we've um, disengaged the person from the problem. <clears throat> In other words, we've taken that person's symptom and we've said, um, you know, you've got this symptom and I've got this solution, the pill for the ill, that will um, take that symptom away. And that person is now starting to say, I don't necessarily want that. And so we're starting to see this, this questioning taking place more and more. Um, and um, I think that's how change takes place. I think that's how mm-hmm. you will ultimately institute the changes that are necessary for the society at large to get healthier. And I, I know the doctors mm-hmm. want it. The doctors definitely want it. You know, and there's a, I remember when Jeff Bland said this, he said that <clears throat> all science changes one funeral at a time. And what he meant by that is at the very top is your the people that make all the decisions, the people that control all the funding resources, the people that um, kind of set the tone for where the resource allocation goes because, you know, they're in charge and they've established a certain, uh, you know, methodology and thought process towards a disease or a, 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 a pathological uh, aspect of, um, you know, some, some problem that we have. As they die, somebody new comes in and they have a different paradigm, a different way of thinking. And those things slowly start to take uh, hold and and it takes it takes time because of the bureaucratic nature of the things that we're up against. You know the, whether it's the reimbursement system or it's the people that are at the med school. Yeah, I was going to say I don't know if it's bureaucracy or if it's follow the money. I mean, there's so much incentive 
now to create solutions outside of ourselves that are reimbursable, right? I mean, the solutions that are available inside of ourselves, number one, most of them don't cost money. And therefore, that means somebody can't make money off of it, right? So there is no, there's literally a disincentive to empower people to, to control their health. Because if we empowered people to control their health, then they're making different choices with food, with how they move their body, you know, what kind of stress they expose themselves to, how they prioritize sleep or whatever. And none of that is reimbursable. Yeah. That, you know, to a to a to an outside entity. <clears throat> True. It's yeah. it's the ultimate, it's the ultimate like closed loop <laughs> of yeah. Right of 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 reinforcement of of a paradigm that is, it's like a like a drain, a whirlpool drain that's just going to keep sucking, sucking, sucking down. Yep. <laughs> you yep. know, I mean, I just and and then the other thing I was just going to say is like, it it wasn't always like this, right? I mean, wasn't it? Wasn't there a time where before pharma? Like before a pill for an ill, where were we then? I mean, weren't we at a place at some point far back enough? Can't we find a point where we did rely on nature, where we did rely on on prayer and meditation, and inner knowing, and the wise woman, and the and the you know the healer and plant medicine? And I mean, we were there at one point. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, <clears throat> yeah, I think we're still, we, st I think that's coming back. Um, and it's coming back because the, um, science and the technology is bringing it with it. And that's, what's exciting about some of the things that are taking place right now is you're starting to see, um, through a whole host of new technologies that can start to show the wisdom of nature in the biological systems that we're living in. So we've got these, these ways in which to take um, a molecule and we can throw it into a system, a, 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 a system that's um, animated. It's a computer system that will basically look at all the impact of a molecule. <clears throat> so now we can filter drugs, we can repurpose drugs, we can start to look at uh, you know, some of the pharmacology within plants and we can look at them through these big data sets and we can start to push them through this, this, um, this technology, this, uh, systems biology approach. And we can start to see how they start to, um, improve or, uh, support, uh, our health. And that's what I was mentioning before was that, I think the the convergence of both the biology and the technology and the understanding is coming together to support exactly what you're talking about is bringing back that 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 kind of that ancestral wisdom that we had that we lived with um, that we can now utilize through the lens of the technology that we have available, 
which is so exciting. It's it, there's you know people like David Sinclair out of Harvard. He's you know he's a real pioneer in this, and he's looking at things like you know resveratrol, and he's looking at NMN, and he's looking at all these other uh, molecules as they relate to um, <clears throat> his version of longevity or aging. And um, you know he's using a lot of technology to. Uh, better understand it. And then he puts that technology into work through, you know, various models, whether they're cell models or they're C. elegans or they're mouse and rat to human and primate. Um, and he starts to identify and look at these things. So, so you're, I, I hear what you're saying about the science and the technology that it's really coming to a point where we can harness where we can harness these things in a super intelligent way without devastating side effects, I'm, which is, you haven't said that, but I'm, I know that that's part of what you're suggesting is, is the technology mm -hmm. and the science is there where we can harness these things to support, to support our health without negative side effects. And as a scientist, I know that that is, it, that is like what you're so, so fascinated in and that's what you're dedicating your life to. I, but you are also a, an anomaly in and of yourself in the sense of you are a scientist uh, and but you are a scientist who does everything does everything in his power on a human level that you have personal responsibility for that can support your health plus your interested and committed to uncovering the science and technology and how that can support your, your human systems. And I don't, I don't, I, I, I want to make sure that that is not lost in this conversation because there, you were talking at the, at the onset of this conversation about the discipline that you have and that even on your weekends and, and how you have your life discipline to make sure basically that you're supporting your physical body in order to allow your physical body to, fo to, to, you know, to create science and technology. Like I get it. I get what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I, I just think it's like, we can't underscore the importance of personal responsibility and that yeah. um, supporting our bodies with science and technology will never work unless we've done the personal work first. You can't eat Doritos and pizza and smoke cigarettes no. and then expect science and technology to support your body you know, in a, in a, in a real effective way. Do you, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. You can't supplement your way out of a bad habit. <laughs> no. Yeah. That's for and, sure. You know, and I think that, I mean, that's one of the things I'm, I'm interested to hear from you too, because you, you not only walk the walk or you don't, not only talk the talk, you walk the walk. You are an example in your daily life. And mm -hmm. I'm sure you're critical of yourself because you probably think, oh, I'm not, I'm not, you know, doing as much as I would like to be doing, or I'm not doing something as optimally as I, maybe I feel like I should be doing. I know that about you. You're a perfectionist and, and these types of things, but I would love to know as a practitioner, as an educator, as a scientist, 
and as a personal life's healthy lifestyle person, what you would say to people are some, some basic things where we could start taking responsibility in our lives, knowing, knowing what the average person in America, at least how they live their life, what could we do? What would you say to people to give yourself a, a you know, a way to avoid diabetes or a way to avoid heart disease or a way to avoid, you know, depression or anxiety or all of these kind of, you know, um, leading causes of disease and death. What do you do? What are, what are some yeah. pillars of things that you um, would say? Well, yeah, there's, <laughs> I wish I could just encapsulate it into one sentence. Um, I think it's, I think it's, um, you have to be curious and you have to kind of want to change. So you have to want to change and pe people's change um, uh, requirement or emphasis comes in a number of different ways. One, they, one could be from a disaster taking place, a heart attack or a mm -hmm. diagnosis. And that could really inst institute a really strong attribute of change that they want to put into their lives. And they would really take that seriously. Another could be watching a family member go through a situation that they don't want to go through and right. recognize that there's things that they might be able to do to avail themselves of having those consequences. So I think it's important to be curious about change and to look and see where change could be accessible in their lives and then begin the journey of change with small steps, but consistently and that's the key is I, I tell myself often um, when I say I don't want to do something or I'm feeling like I have something that could something's interfering with the the, the commitment um, is just show up, just show up. And when you when you rinse and repeat that a few times and you start to see the um, the small incremental steps forward and some of the changes that are taking place as a result of that just showing up. There's um, a certain yeah. amount of uh, success that you feel and you feel accomplished. Um, and I think those are really important. Those are just that. If I could give somebody a pill that would say, I want you to feel accomplished, that would be a really good pill to have. Because a lot of times we're yeah. just feeling so defeated in the fact that we haven't done what we thought we were that we want to do. Um and sometimes it just takes more time and you just have to be committed to the process of showing up. And so I tell my, all my sons that, that uh, I've got three sons and I tell them all just show up and I just rinse, repeat, show up and um, put your, if put you're your like, if you're pocket. committed to something, if you say you're going to. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like so whatever that, you're that, committed to in life, whatever you want to, there's a delay, I think in our. Yeah. So, yeah. So sorry. I think the, the consistency of, of that small step <clears throat> leads to big changes over time. Um, and then you um, one of the big things that helps, uh, you know, when we feel good, it's easy to think good. When we feel yeah. good, it's really easy to think really good thoughts. But I don't always feel good. And sometimes I, and send that reflects in my, in, in my thinking. So sometimes I have to reverse that and start to think correctly so I can feel correctly. 
And so those are two streets <laughs> that we need to recognize that just because you do not feel like it's working doesn't mean it's work not working. So sometimes you have to reestablish proper thinking in order for you to feel correctly. And sometimes you need to also just, um, you know, allow that time to take place. But I'm a big believer in, in, in making sure that our mind is right uh, too. I do, I do, I do mindful uh, practice every day <clears throat> and I do journaling every day. What is, what is that? Tell me what your mind, what's your mindful so, practice? Yeah. So my, my morning routine is, is every morning um, I get up and I um, spend about 10 minutes just in, in a quiet space. Actually, I, I usually put um, some classical music on. I usually put Mozart or, or a piano or sometimes cello and I'll just be quiet and um, start to wake up to the day. And then I journal and I'll journal for 15, 20 minutes. And then, um, and that's my, that sets the stage for my day. And I didn't used to do that. I've been doing it for a long time now, but um, I remember thinking I should do that. And I kept thinking I should do that and I never did it. And then I started doing it. And um, I committed to it. And so my journal is with me. Uh, if I travel, if I do, if I, if in the morning, I know exactly where it's at. Um, if it's dark, I have a light on the, on my journal book so I can write and see what I'm writing. Um, mm -hmm. I've got everything set up. So it's so, it's so automatic now. And it's amazing how it, those little steps, uh, start to set the foundation for the day <clears throat> and I'll go into the day with a much, um, it just, it's, it's a foundation that I can work from. It might not be the best yeah. day, but it will be a better day than if I hadn't had done it. Mm -hmm. And I don't miss days anymore. I just don't, mm -hmm. um, I'm almost superstitious about that's it, awesome. <laughs> but that's really, just, yeah, I, I just really, I just know how important it is for me. I just, it's, it's how I do it. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Um, how, what's your discipline around? I know you have a pretty high discipline around food. Would you share with me and us, um, you know, your kind of thinking around what you put in your body? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I've played with my diet ever since I can remember. Um, and I have always um, felt this relationship between my diet and myself, kind of the way I feel, the way I think, how, how it improves me or doesn't improve me. And so I've always had a keen relationship with that, uh, ever since I can remember. Um, and so, um, as I got to know more about the biology and the, the way in which the foods that we ingest impact our, our cells and our health, I, um, I became a lot more interested in that. And so, um, today I, I really look at food as a, um, an immunological impact on our health. So our food is a foreign substance, right? We eat it. And when we eat that food, we're going to, it's foreign and we're going to bring it into our body and we're going to um, run it past 
the most um, abundant immune uh, area in our body called our gastrointestinal tract. And the GI tract right. has 80% of your immunity. And so if you're going to bring foreign substances into your body and then tell your, have your immune system tell you, is this friend or foe, you want to have the probably a, a, a good understanding of what is going to take place, <laughs> at least a somewhat right. of an understanding. So when I look at food, I look at food through that lens. Is this immunologically going to um, be acceptable to me, to my reactions or not? And so I've, I have a very, um, you know, pretty simple diet. I eat, I eat, I eat food that is um, not processed um, for the most part. And we could talk so about So does that mean like no pasta? None. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. Um, so I eat, you know, uh, I'll give you an example. And I eat usually, I only eat one meal a day. So. Um, okay. Now we're getting into it. We're getting into yeah. it. Yeah. So I. Oh, I'm, you're, I'm, so you're like, you're saying you're like a snake. You're like a snake. Side what? note. Just side note. I had a stepmother, an evil stepmother. I was thinking about her the other day. She was so mean and so evil. And she's beautiful. It's really beautiful and thin and long, dark hair. And she wouldn't eat. She would eat nothing all day. She would eat nothing all day. And then she'd come home and she'd put like some big lasagna in the in the oven or microwave. Who knows? And she'd just eat a tray of food. She'd eat once a day. And I always thought of her like a snake, that she'd yeah. eat her meals whole, like as if she'd waited all day and then ate a mouse and digested it for anyway. That's a side note. So, see, I'm traumatized from a child from that woman. Anyway, so you eat once a day. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I eat one meal a day. Um, and so it's, it's in oh, the, one meal a day. Yeah. I do a time restricted um, feeding uh, program where I'll eat between, I'll have a window of feeding between you know, six to eight hours during that day. So, um, I usually have about a 16 hour fast, <clears throat> um, every day, every single day, every Pretty single much. day. I mean, I really okay. don't, um, vary from that. I just, I just work better that way. I mean, it's just, I'm not hungry okay. in the morning. Um, and I, I, I don't run out of energy. If I exercise on an empty stomach, I got plenty of fuel. Um, so, uh, so like a meal for me would be, you know, organic cucumbers. Um, I love radishes right now for some reason. I like Belgian endive in a salad, um, some organic uh, Kalmata olives. I'll mix that up as my salad with some parsley. I'm really into parsley right now because of the apigenin. I've got it in one of my products that I just um, put together. And... Um, and then I'll have, you know, some, you know, s salmon. I'll usually, I, I won't eat any farm raised salmon. I'll only eat the wild. No pot. farm, no farm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then, um, fresh caught or wild caught. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I, I'll, I'll, I, I usually get, uh, protein earlier in the day in that six to eight hour window through some collagen peptides. Um, and then I'll use that as, as building blocks for connective tissue and to basically, you know, keep my body systems, uh, 
able to um, be strong and healthy. Um, so um, I, my diet is very simple. Um, I don't I don't eat a lot of uh, I don't eat any grains. Um, they don't work for me. Um, I, I what about eat, rice? Is rice a grain? Yeah, I don't. I I'm a very low carbohydrate person just because uh, the things I've learned about insulin, I'm I'm not a fan of. Uh, and my I used to eat a lot of sugar and a lot of carbohydrates when I was racing bikes and doing a lot of triathlons and endurance racing. Um, and I lived on that and I, I was so unstable in my blood sugar as a result of it. And, um, and then I started doing more of like a keto style, not a lot of fat, but less carbohydrate. Mm -hmm. And that really helped stabilize my energy levels a lot. And, and your blood sugar levels. Yeah. I used to have panic attacks. I remember going to the ER. Um, I was out of college. I was, I was practicing and I would, I would, and I was racing bikes and I was doing a tremendous amount of endurance activity. And, um, I would go to swim practice at five 30 in the morning and swim hard and just, you know, 4,000 yards. And, and I would come to practice it or to my clinic and, I would eat a couple cliff bars and I would crash and I would just go into that, mm. that, that you know, that panic. And I remember going, <laughs> how could this be happening to me? And it was just because of that roller coaster of uh, up and down with the blood sugar. So I became really, um, uh, I really started to monitor my, my insulin levels and not wanting those, the blood sugar mm. and insulin response. Yeah, I've heard more and more about this idea of controlling insulin, not even like, I mean, yes, diabetes and yes, prediabetes, but even totally separate and way before that, it's just this day-to-day -day or even meal-by-meal -meal, uh, fluctuation, right, or, or, the, or the pressing of the button of the release of insulin, right, um, that especially as somebody with the pancreatic cancer in my family history, the pancreas is what creates insulin. Is that not right? Mm -hmm. That's where we get our insulin. The beta cells. And so it is, it has been something on my mind. And, and, and now people are even like wearing, um, blood sugar monitors, right? CGM. There's this thing where you can have a constant sit. What's it called? Uh, continuous glucose monitors. CGM. Yeah, um, because this is really probably, I, it sounds like what you're saying, and I have a tendency to feel this way too, what I'm kind of feeling and hearing in the, in the you know, what I'm reading and learning is that if we can control the blood sugar response, that can really control the crux of, the, of, of, of many, the emergence of many diseases. Would you agree with that? Totally. Yeah. So if I wanted 100%. to give somebody cancer, yeah. if I wanted to give them cancer for, you know, if I 100% wanted to give them cancer, I would load them up with insulin. Yeah. Because it's a pro-growth hormone. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it's a, it's really? a really important factor to, to control. Um, and, you know, some people are like, I'm carbohydrate intolerant. 
I'm just, I don't tolerate them. Right. You, so, you seem a little bit more extreme. Your body seems a little bit more sensitive than the average person. Yeah. Would you yeah, agree? And, no, I mean, I think there's a lot of people um, that are like me. Um, they're, they, uh, they don't do well with large carbohydrate burden. Um, they either get uh, tired, their brains don't work as well. Um, they'll retain more water. They'll uh, produce way more inflammation. I, I used to present um, on metabolic. I, when I was in my functional medicine practice, nobody was running A1Cs. I couldn't get doctors to order hemoglobin A1Cs or C-reactive proteins. And so I set up my own lab in my clinic, got all the equipment and was ordering and doing in-office uh, uh, A1Cs on all my patients for metabolic problems. This is when it was termed syndrome X by Gerald Reven from Stanford. So um, I, I, I think that some people are really, really um, super sensitive to the carbohydrate burden and they become so used to being in that foggy state because of their carbohydrates that that's their normal. And once they get away from that and once they understand that they don't need to have fuel themselves like that, then um, it might look extreme from what the norm is today, but I think it's also really probably biologically normal for for the vast majority mm -hmm. of people, uh, more so than than we might mm -hmm. think is normal. Right. Well, I mean, just the idea of removing processed foods, like you, you've got levels going here. I mean, you've got one level, which is I don't eat processed foods right? That's one level that if people were just to remove processed foods, think about how that would impact our health, right? Yeah. Then there's a whole nother level, which is no grains or, or limiting, you know, you could start with saying, first, I'm going to eliminate gluten, right? Yeah. And then you could say, okay, I'm going to take it a whole nother level and, and just eliminate all, um, what are they called? Complex carbohydrates or are they simple carbohydrates? Complex? Well, simple like, carbohydrates um, are rice. rapidly absorbed, but complex would be like rice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So like, I mean, you know, we've got different levels. I don't, I mean, you know, like when you, when you look at population and say, what, what would be the first layer, you know, because it's the same thing when you talk to people who eat whatever they want and then, and they're, and then they're having a discussion with vegans. Like you can't go from like eating everything and anything and not having any connection whatsoever to what you put in your mouth to going vegan. I mean, that's like not realistic, right? So in this scenario where people are saying, yeah, or, or if the average person just says, okay, Dr. Nelson, if I want to do the first easiest thing to reduce the burden on my body, what would, you know, what would that be? And would that be maybe just eliminate like, sh like added sugar in anything, like anything that has added sugar, not natural sugar, or what is the, what is the single most thing that impacts insulin for people? Well, generally? carbohydrate for sure. But, um, I used to, we used to teach people how to shop 
in the clinic. So we would, um, I would, I had a yeah. cooking class and I would take them over to a culinary Institute here and I would put on, uh, a cooking class and we cook, we'd teach people how to cook because they would ask these, these exact questions. How do I do it? And, um, I would boil it down to, to one simple thing. Don't buy anything in a package and just try there you that. Go. Try that for uh, a month. Don't buy. Don't anything. buy anything in a package. Don't buy anything in a pack. Don't. So that buy would be like a good first step, right? Is no. just cook cook real food that doesn't come in a box. Just it's or very a bag. simple. It's simple. It's easy to kind of monitor. Um, I mean, some of the vegetables now are packaged, but um, you know, I wouldn't consider that a packaged food, a processed packaged food. Um, but you, you, I think there's ways to, um, there's ways to, uh, to make it really simple like that. And then once you start yes. to feel the difference and you start to see it, you'll actually see the difference in your body, your sleep levels probably improve. You know, one of the biggest things that I would have, um, the female patients report on the male patients. So if they were married is he quit snoring, Going. Well, that's, and I would tell them to anticipate that he's going to stop snoring within the first month because of the things that we're about to do. And the snoring was directly related to insulin levels. So as that insulin, really? goes, as the insulin starts to drop, the inflammation drops there, there's a, there's a, there's a area in the brain that gets um, turned back on and their apneic episodes go away and they start to breathe regularly the inflammation goes down, the throat um, isn't quite as inflamed and their snoring and blood pressure goes down. Everything starts to normalize once you start to reduce some of the inflammatory um, components mm -hmm. that are going on. Mm -hmm. I just want to go back. I want to circle back to the beginning of this discussion on food, to what you said about the way you look at food, mm -hmm. which was, um, an insulin, or not insulin, an immuno, where was it? An immunogenic response. Oh, immunological impact on my health. Yeah. You said that any, every, anything I eat has an immune, immunological, immune, I don't even know how to say that word. Immunological Immuno impact. Impact on your health. In yeah. other words, I'm going to eat this piece of peanut butter toast, and I know that it's, it's like, it, it's like a set of instructions that's mm -hmm. going to, into my body and I get to choose the instructions. Every meal, everything I put in my mouth is a choice of the type of instructions that I'm going to put in. Like you've made the connection that this thing that I'm in charge of is, is going to have an impact on my immune system. The mm -hmm. immune system is going to respond. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to say, like what you said, is going to be an enemy. It could be neutral. It could be an enemy or it could be a friend. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And yeah. we get to choose how many enemies we send down the hole. <laughs> yeah, we do. Right? Yeah, you have to be aware of that. Yeah. <laughs> yep. But yeah. the, but this, this is back to this whole disconnect, right? We're so disconnected. We're so disconnected. And even going from, from the food we eat and what, and the impact it's going to have, but not only that, we're imp we're disconnected from 
the where the food has come from, how yeah. it's been processed, what yeah. what are the additives, what are the chemicals, what is the environmental impact of of the of the creation of that food, right? Mm -hmm. And as yeah. a farmer, as a as a person who was raised in in farming your whole life, your whole childhood, you're you're ultimately totally connected with all of that. And I wonder if it is because of that formative time on the farm where you were connected to the soil and connected to the plants and connected to the animals and the entire cycle, the cycle of life, that that is like an imprinted methodology on your way of looking at the world. Yeah. That it's well, all connected. It's all connected. It is. It is. My sisters and I went back uh, to visit the farm um, this last summer. We took a, a, a trip back there. We hadn't been back together in a long time. And so, um, and the farm is, is my grandparents are gone um, and both my parents are gone. So nobody really is at the farm anymore. And so we just went back there and, you know, nothing, the, the house was gone. Everything was gone but the land was still as fertile as could be. It was still just, it was green. It was beautiful. It was windy, but it was, it hadn't changed much at all. <laughs> and um, it was really nice to see. Um, but I do, I do think that those, that, that formative um, time was helped under me kind of connect the dots with regard to my immune system. The thing that really helped me though, <clears throat> is when I, when I actually experienced the immune resolution of some chronic issues. So I was having, I, I, when I, I used to have allergies all the time down in Northern California during the springtime. And I never wanted to take any, I never took anything. I, I remember my mom would, tell me, oh, you should try some Sudafed. And it's like, I tried it once and it was like, oh, I felt terrible. I didn't want to ever take that again. I'd rather have a runny nose. So um, I was, I moved up here and I didn't have any and because it was a different climate. But then I started becoming sensitive to rabbit brush. And I was training a ton right then. And, and what one of the things that happens with athletes as they train endurance exercises, they get a leaky gut. And so they're just, they're pouring in more antigens, more immune stimulants into their, their body that they're reactive to as a result of the stress that they're undergoing with their training. So I started working on my GI tract and this is probably 27, 30, close to 30 years ago. And I used to have, I, I would wake up holding my nose open, trying to breathe during September, usually about August through uh, October and um, because of the rabbit brush. And I remember I going, waking up going, and I was doing this gut protocol. And I thought, I don't, the rabbit brush must not be very bad this year. So I had, um, I looked on the uh, index for rabbit brush on the uh, internet and it was huge. It was the highest it's been. They were like, this is one of the worst allergy years ever. And I'm thinking, mm -hmm. My, my allergies don't exist anymore. I do not have them. I still don't have them. Um, and I thought, holy cow, that, that's real. That is definitely real. 
And so that's what really got my attention to the impact of the foods and the exposures that we were. But why um, were you doing, I don't know, what precipitated the gut protocol? Why were you doing that? Because um, uh, the when you train so much like that, like I was exposing myself to a lot of chlorine too. So my gut was constantly in turmoil. Um, it, it was bloated. It was, I just didn't feel right. Um, okay. So you were addressing some symptoms in your gut. Yeah. Yeah. And I just didn't feel. And it had the side effect of clearing up your allergies. (laughs) Got you. Yeah. And I was, I I remember going down and doing a hundred mile bike ride down in California. And I used to have to leave early after the ride because I would be dying. My eyes would just be watering. I'd go, let's get up in the Sierras. And, um, I remember sitting with my kids going, and they're like, dad, don't you have to, don't we have to go? We have to go, right? I go, no, I think I'm, I'm okay. I didn't have any symptoms. And um, it was another, that was the same year that I, I realized that I didn't have to uh, walk around with my, my finger around my nasal passage trying to open it up. But, you know, if we really start to think about the immune activity that takes place with any food that we eat, um, any antibiotic that we take, any fragrance that we smell, any skincare that we put on our body, um, we will start to change uh, how we interpret what we want to, what we're going to eat, and what we're going to expose ourselves to. That's why having good cleaning um, products in the house is really important. Not having volatile off-gassing, you know, paints or finishes, um, all those things, you know. Uh, stimulate your immune system in a potentially negative way um, Mm -hmm. and can be very detrimental. Um, When your immune system gets excited at the gut level and it goes systemic at even a small level, it activates the immune system in the brain. And 80% of your brain is immunological. It's not neuronal. Okay. So, you think your brain is a bunch of nerves. It's not. It's only about 20% nerve cells. The rest are immunological cells called glial cells. Yeah. So when you look at uh, diseases like dementia, Alzheimer's, depression, Parkinson's, MS, these are all um, have a very strong component of the immunological activation of the brain and the periphery. So they, that when the peripheral nervous system, when you get it activated in the peripheral nervous system, like your bloodstream, it goes and talks to your brain and says, there's a threat, turn up the, turn up the surveillance and let's start to make sure that, and activate all the soldiers um, to, to the threat. And when they do that, there's a low-grade neuroinflammatory process that's taking place. Inflammation in your brain. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I'm gonna translate. So so when 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 a chemical, when a toxin or a food that the body sees as a toxin or an enemy, anything that the body sees as an enemy activates the immune defense. And 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 part of that is systemic inflammation. Mm-hmm. It can, it can be localized inflammation that becomes systemic mm-hmm. and, and inflammation in the brain causes disease, just like inflammation in our, 
arteries can cause disease, just like inflammation, wherever it is, if it's there long enough or pronounced enough, we'll, we'll end up in a disease. Is that right? Mm -hmm. That's right. So are you, are you saying in a nutshell that, that brain disease is in effect, a is an immune response? It's an immune response from what mm -hmm. we've exposed our bodies to? It can be. Yeah. It can be a, an immune activation. Yeah, for sure. What else could it be? Um, well, ultimately it is the immune system. When we're talking about neurodegenerative conditions like dementia, frontal to uh, lobe dementia, Alzheimer's, even schizophrenia and some of the psychotic diseases, those all have a profound immunological um, component. And those are all, um, uh, you know, ways in which you can actually start to quell the neurodegenerative process if you can get a hold of it. If you look at the new drug that was just released by the FDA that really <clears throat> um, uh, is designed for that um, kind of deactivation, it's a monoclonal antibody that's designed to stop oh, yeah. inflammatory. It doesn't work well because uh -huh. there's way more going on in, in dementia and Alzheimer's. And, um, but that's the whole idea. They're trying, they're targeting the immune system with regard to that, but they have to do a so lot more. So this is like immunotherapy? Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, that's, that's a simplistic way to think about it. Because it's it's there's a lot more taking place than just simply blocking one pathway that would be you could probably you know that's responsible for it because there's way more going on than just one. I, I understand. I totally understand. But I just think what you're saying is so important that I just want to underscore because for you and I, what you're saying is like, oh yeah, like it's inflammation that's created by the immune response. Like of course, like. For you, for like you, I understand that. I mean, I understand what you're saying barely, but, um, but I just want to acknowledge like most people, most doctors are, are they'll be like, no, 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 this is all genetic. Like, uh, no. it's just a, you're unlucky. It's the luck of the draw. You know, it's, you know, it's genetic basically. It's like bad genes, you know, and 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 what you're saying is is literally the polar opposite of that, yeah. and I think it's, it's 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 this is this is this is this is the thing, this is the discussion. It Do you is. know what I'm saying? It it's is. like life is not happening to you. You are your life. Like you are happening to your life. Life yeah. is not happening to you. Yeah. You know, you are not the recipient. Of a, of a bunch of random instructions, you know, that are happening. I mean, we, do, yes, we do have genes and those are instructions and then we're born, right? <laughs> then we're born. And then, then we're adding millions of other instructions voluntarily, you mm -hmm. know, what, just everything you're saying, what we expose ourselves to, um, not just food, but everything else or what we're not giving to ourselves. We're not giving ourselves rest. We're not giving ourselves mm -hmm. peace. We're not giving ourselves movement. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's almost right. Wouldn't you agree? Important of, of, of what we're, what we're not 
what how we're not giving ourselves love and care is is as important as what we are giving ourselves to nourish and support our bodies. It's like it's like a balance sheet. You want to maximize the you know, or a profit and loss, you want to maximize the income and minimize the expenses, right? It's the same mm-hmm. thing of our mm-hmm. bodies. We're, there's a balance at the end of this. Yeah. You yeah, know? There is. Yeah. There's a sum total that we're going right. to get. Yeah. And, and I, I don't want to, I, I know you and I could talk for five hours about this because I'm, I'm so passionate. I'm, I borderline on like, like vigilante about it because it drives me crazy. Yeah. The, how the philosophies can be so you know, different. It drives me crazy, but, um, I do want to talk about what you've devoted your life to, which is, you know, and I'm going to say, you tell me if I'm not describing this correctly, but I feel like what your mission in life now is, 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 is creating blending science and technology to create products, to create novel products that can support the human body's um, ability to defend itself, to thrive, to prevent disease, um, you know, and, and, and that, that those are tools that work in conjunction with our human individual choices, you know, they work in combination with that. So I'd love for you to just talk about you know, what you spend your time working on. You mentioned today you're going to be studying taurine because you're interested Uh in how that affects. Uh I already forgot what you said, what it affects, but (laughs) this is why you study these things is you're creating Uh these novel technologies. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So uh, I'm engaged in, in product development and uh, applying the uh, what you might call bench to bedside applications to um, the science that supports the ingredients and the dosages of the pro- the ingredients that we uh, put into our products. Um, Brain Bean is the line of products that that you know we we offer, and. The tagline with Brain Bean is really simple, and it's a soundbite that everybody will get. It's to improve your mood, mind, and memory. And um, it really is all about that because ultimately we want to have a better mood. We want to have an appropriate mind, and we want to you know, maintain and, and improve our memory um, throughout our lifetime. Um, <clears throat> so my I'm dedicated 100% to developing efficacious products that will um, be easy to apply to people's uh, concerns, their mood, mind, and memory. Um, and so I go out and I, I, like a couple of weeks ago, I did a lecture at a local event here on the impact of um, your brain health and omega-3 fatty acids. And the combination of omega-3 fatty acids and a, a carotenoid called lutein. And I presented the a lot of detail and science regarding how those two combinations that aren't available in the market other than our product, our brain omega product, um, offer a significant upgrade in uh, improving your overall brain status. And, you know, they did... I. I created that product based on a lot of research 
that was coming from a lot of different sources from all over the, the world and has continually been upgraded. In fact, last week, another major article came out on the impact of these carotenoids and the implications for memory decline or dementia. Major article. And, so, and they pointed out. So you're, you're, you're talking about the combination of omega-3 fatty acids with lutein. So in other words, it's the synergy of these things together yeah. that's been studied to, sh- to have an improvement on brain health. I'm assuming the protection of the brain. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. Right. So, and so I I'm, go ahead. I was just going to say, just to, just as an, as a side note or not a side, it's like an antithesis of what we're talking about right now. And I'm pretty sure I've told you this story in person. My father has Parkinson's disease. And I remember one time uh, I would go to some of his doctor's appointments when he would come and see him at the Barrows Institute here in, in Phoenix, the premier neurological centers in the world, Barrows Neurological Center. Yeah. Uh, the Muhammad uh-huh. Ali, you know, uh, Parkinson Center. Okay. And mm-hmm. and this doctor was one of the preeminent neurologists in the field. And I remember mm-hmm. going to my da- one of my dad's doctor's appointments with him and he were going over this and going over this and going over this. And the doctor said, really nice guy. So do you, do you guys have any questions? You know, uh, any questions? I go, yeah, I have, I have a couple questions. Um, do you think if dad supplemented with, um, you know, high quality, um, you know, high levels of, of quality omega threes every day that that would support his brain health and maybe protect his brain? He looked right at us and he said, it's, that's unclear. Um, I, you know, they're, it probably wouldn't hurt, but, and I just thought to myself, how could you say this? How could you think this? Mm-hmm. How is that even coming out of your mouth? And of course, mm-hmm. if the, you know, for many people like my father, if the man in the white coat is not saying it, it's not going to happen. It doesn't matter that there's all of these studies and all of this science and all of this reality-based information. Mm-hmm. We still have preeminent scientists who are leading institutions and, 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 and not, you know, so, so you're creating this amazing product based on science that's going to help people protect and prevent these, these brain disorders. And then we have, you know, these other doctors who just are like, eh, I don't know that it works. There's no real definitive science on it. I mean, how can you have that incongruence? Some of it's just a lack of knowledge. They just don't, they haven't put the, the time and effort into understanding the science. Um, and, and if they did read it, they would be like, wow, this looks really interesting. And this looks like this could be a, um, a valuable tool for somebody to use, um, to improve their overall neurological system. So here's how it works. Um, when you look at the eye, the eye is an extension of your brain and inside the eye is a little area called the macula. And we know about macular degeneration. It's the leading cause of blindness. Mm -hmm. The reason you can see the macula is because it's got a pigment in it. That pigment is composed of lutein. So lutein is sitting in your eye and it sits right next to DHA, docohexanoic acid. 
DHA is the most concentrated fatty omega-3 fatty acids in the human brain. It's 96% of the fatty acids of the omega-3 variety in the brain is DHA. And you can you can look at somebody's eye and determine how how well their macular pigment uh, density is. So you can you can yeah, <laughs> I can see yours, and you can actually measure this thing called macular pigment optical density, and you can also measure their cognitive capabilities. And there's a direct correlation between their macular pigment optical density and their cognition. And the Georgia Centenarian study was very clear when they looked at Georgia Centenarians, 100-year-old people that agreed to go through the battery of testing up until they died and then to donate their brains to, um, to science afterwards to look and see whether or not their macular pigment optical density levels in their brain, their cognition, and their level of lutein in their brain, because it's a reflection, your macular pigment is a reflection of how much lutein's in your brain. And they go together. And that what they found was the people that had the highest cognition and the high, had the highest macular pigment density, these are 100-year-old people, and had the highest density of lutein in their brains. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a slam dunk when you when you think about it. Right. Um, and now here's how it works. So it sits next to DHA's a long chain fatty acid. Um, lutein sits right next to it as an antioxidant. So it doesn't allow that oxidation of that fat. When a fat becomes oxidized, it becomes immun- immunologically active. It stimulates the immune system to go and clean it up. So we don't want that to happen. We want to keep that oxidation level very low. And so that's what lutein does. It does it also in the eye. But in, in the eye, it also protects you from blue light. Really? You, the screens you're looking at, okay. that's, that's exactly why it's there. It protects you from the blue light. Um, so we use a patented Okay, and what's, form the, what's the name of, of this product? Brain Omega. Yeah, it's, okay. it's awesome. Yeah, it's it's an incredible product. I designed it so kids could take it too. So it's a small pill. So, you know, somebody three, four years old could actually swallow it and they wouldn't choke. And including mm-hmm. people that have some difficulty swallowing, like a Parkinson's patient that just can't swallow a pill. Mm-hmm. These are small enough where they might be able to do it in the early phases of Parkinson's. So um, so anyway, it's a, it's a fantastic um nutritional supplement that is, uh, extremely beneficial. Okay. I'm going to change gears. You were talking about the importance of the, the gut and the, um, the gut repair and, and the lining. Um, and I know that this is a particular interest of, and focus of, of you. Can, Can you talk about, um, the product that you, I believe you had created a product that helps, tighten the bonds of the gut lining? <clears throat> yeah. So there's a, we have a couple of um, products that are uh, gut-focused. One's called Brain Immune. You know, we've got this relationship between the enteric nervous system, which is in the gut, and the central nervous system, which is in the brain. And they talk to each other, and they talk to each other via systemic circulation and the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is called the vagus nerve because it's the vagabond. It's a wanderer. It innervates every single organ in mm-hmm. our body. And it's, it's highly Im- implicated in Parkinson's disease. 
Um, really? So huge. I mean, that's the genesis of Parkinson's disease is the vagus nerve. Um, so using Parkinson patients start with uh, a history of um, constipation and constipation is second is, is a, is a dysfunctional vagal tone, if you will. Um, really? Yeah. So um, anyway, the, the gut, when it becomes <clears throat> uh, permeable or broken down because mm. of stress, antibiotics, overgrowth of certain bacteria, yeast, fungi, um, then you start to um, break down the barrier that holds the colonocytes together and it opens mm. them and it allows the most prolifically inciting molecule to activate the immune system inside, and it starts to turn on the inflammation like no other. Right. It's called right. lipopolysaccharide, LPS. Okay. What do, they, what do they use in the scientific studies to induce all these disease processes? <clears throat> they inject the mice with LPS. Because there's nothing more profound than LPS to activate the immune system. And your body, when it can't keep those junctions tight enough, will allow that LPS to leak through, just like you're a mouse or a rat that's being exposed to an artificial substance or a substance that's supposed to promote inflammation, and you're getting it. And what are the signs and symptoms? Well, <clears throat> they're all the signs and symptoms that you might have on a regular basis. Fatigue, uh, lethargy. W one that I think is often overmissed, it's called anhedonia. Anhedonia is loss of pleasure or interest. So people just lose, they just lose their pleasure and interest in life, right? They're apathetic and they just don't have to get up and go. They, they might be able to show up to work, but they, when they go home, they're done. And they have no more interest in, you know, being social or any of those things. These are all. And these so you are all, think that's you know, the, a telltale sign of leaky gut? It's, a, it's one of the major signs. And this is also known as, classically known as sickness behavior. And this is this. So you can just think back when you had the flu or you had a you had a, a maybe a, an infection of some sort and you were running a fever. You didn't feel like doing a lot. You didn't feel like engaging. Right. You felt tired and run right. down. And that's this is might not happen at the same level, but at that low grade chronic level, that's what's taking place. And you can mm -hmm. see it in the world that we live in. It's it's rampant in the society that we're we're yeah. in right now. Okay, so so we have a leaky gut. It's causing inflammation. It's causing gener generalized sickness disorder. And so what have you have got a couple, what are the products that you have that help to repair so that gut lining? I've got one, the brain immune product has, um, uh, grass fed pasture or grass fed, uh, colostrum that's taken from, uh, grass fed cows in a, and they're, they're not antibiotic exposed. They don't have any, they they're fed, uh, grass that doesn't have pe uh, pesticides, fungicides, herbicides on the grass. They take the milk from the first milking and only take a small fraction of it. And they give the rest to the, to the actual cow, the calf afterwards. So we, we never take more than we need. And they've been doing this for years. They're out of South Dakota. They're great. They're a great resource for us. I combine that with a, um, 
a immunized uh, egg protein. So they take chicken and they they take chickens and they inoculate them with a certain stimulus, like a vaccine, to produce antibodies. And those antibodies are harvested and they're they're in the egg. And we use these immunized chicken eggs that are also in the powder. And um, and then what else do we have in there? Oh, glutamine for gut restoration and um, some vitamin C, I believe, too. Yeah. So something in those ingredients, there's a mechanism that happens in those ingredients that tightens the bonds of the of the the gut lining. Yeah. So what ends up happening is it reduces the amount of zonulin that's produced. Zonulin is what links the tight junctions together and keeps them from separating and it keeps everything intact. And so when you can reduce the immune activation and you bind some of these bad actors, you keep zonulin from being expressed and you don't allow that gut to become leaky. So, um, it's a it's a great product for people that are suffering. We have I I think probably our best patients on that product are people with inflammatory bowel disease or irritable bowel syndrome. Those people because they have chronic leaky gut. So if they've got an inflammatory like a Crohn's or a uh, one of the other inflammatory bowel disorders, these people they don't miss their their servings mm-hmm. of uh, brain immune. Got it. So besides the gut health and the brain focus, like the Omega, what's another like product that you've created that you think has far and wide positive impact on a lot of people? Um, <clears throat> well, I, I like them all, but I know, uh, I know. I, I'll, I'll just, um, I'll talk about adaptogens. So Adaptogens are herbal substances that will create resilience um, in your body so that you can withstand the stresses of daily life and and the stresses of just the modern civilization that we're in. So I've got a a formula that's called Brain Vitality, and it's got 21 different adaptogenic herbs at different levels. Um, it's a liquid tonic that you can use daily that will bolster your ability to withstand stress. So adaptogens are kind of, um, some people have heard about them. People know about ginseng. So ginseng works as an adaptogen. Um, but you never take one adaptogen at a time. You usually take, uh, a concoction of adaptogens. And this adaptogenic formula is, um, is a super effective, powerful uh, formula that helps to um, give you the resilience and the vitality that you you kind of lose over the course of chronic uh, disease and chronic stress. And then just general life um, will wear you down. So this adaptogenic formula really helps to tonify your your resilience. Really? It's, it's all, it's, I, I'm sure you've tried it. It's that one that tastes a little bit like licorice. It's only got a little bit of licorice. It's, it's flavored with anise. So it's, yes. it's licorice Um, but yeah, you know, it was, it was challenging. Yeah. <clears throat> it was, yeah. It was challenging. One of the, one of the, one of the attributes of an adaptogen, like a bitter, have you ever used a bitter? 
Not really. Mm-mm. So a bitter is, a, is something that you might take after you eat dinner and to try and stimulate your um, gallbladder to um, work better and to digest your food. Um, so we want you to have a certain taste experience with an adaptogen that sends a signal through your central nervous system uh. for your body to start to bolster itself for stress. So they're not designed to be like super tasty, but they're not, ta- they don't taste bad. They, they're designed to have that, that signal um, that you experience with the, um, with the taste. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to leave that one for you. That was a challenging one for me to, uh, yeah. now I, I do want to talk about one thing that I, I super love. It used to be called brain bean. What did we, what did we rename brain bean to be brains brain? What's the, um, coffee? Yeah. What's it that we put in the coffee? What's it called? Oh. We have two two types of coffee. So we have brain bean. We have a we have a no no uh, not the coffee not the coffee the 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 orange stuff. Oh, brain spark. Is that what it's called? Brain spark. Yeah, the so, thing I put in my coffee every single day that oh, you introduced no, me boost. to. Brain boost. Brain, brain boost. boost. Yeah. Brain boost. Yeah, How can we not boost. talk about brain boost? We can talk about brain boost. Brain, yeah, brain boost used to be called brain bean. And so yeah. ever since we've changed the name to brain boost, I can never remember boost. Yeah. But I have I have e- eaten and or used this supplement like every day of my life yeah. for I mean, when did when did I first taste Five it in your ago. office? How many? Yeah. How many? Five. Five. I take this on vacation. I take it with me to Costa Rica. I take it with me to Mexico. I take it with me everywhere. I take a little blender. I take my little oil, my little MCT oil or, or, or yeah. And, and, and my coffee. Um, and I have to have it every day because tell us what's the, 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 there's mushrooms in it. And then there's curcumin Mm-hmm. So yeah, Brain Boost is a neurogenic formula, meaning it, co- it it stimulates neurogenesis in your in your brain. Neurogenesis is the growing of new brain cells. You can grow new brain cells. So um, most people don't know that. Most doctors don't even know that. Um, but there's plenty of evidence that neurogenesis happens regularly, given the right inputs and the right environment. And this will help to to promote that environmental uh, stimulus for your body to uh, start to uh, build new brain cells. So Brain Boost has um, a mixture of botanicals, curcumin, ashwagandha, patented form of yep. ashwagandha and curcumin, um, all with clinical trials, human clinical trials, two types of mushrooms, cordyceps sinensis, which is a, a adaptogenic mushroom for vitality, energy, and endurance. And just, it's a, it's a well-known mushroom in the uh, mycelium kingdom. And then we also have Heresia marinaceus, which is lion's mane. These are all organic, uh, USDA organic. We're a USDA organic certified facility as well. And then I have shilajit, which is a, um, ancient uh it's a patented form of shilajit too but it's an ancient um 
substance that comes from the breakdown of plants. Uh, and they find this particular shilajit up in the Himalayas. And it's, I've, we've tested, we test all of our materials that we make products for other companies too, but we've tested a lot of shilajits. They're loaded with lead, loaded really? lead, and people are taking them. It's one of the most contaminated substances that we've ever tested. This shilajit doesn't have any lead. This shilajit is the purest shilajit uh, we've ever found. <laughs> and it's called Prima wow. V. Um, it's a, it's, so it's got humic fulvic acids in it. It's a beautiful, um, uh, substance. It's very dark, rich. Um, it doesn't make your coffee or your beverage or anything taste funny at all. Um, I love, I, I honestly love the way my coffee tastes with yeah. the brain boost. Yeah. Um, really and cool. I, I, I do add a separately, I add a scoop of little, little scoop of cacao, little chocolate with That's it. Awesome. Cause I yeah. think, yeah. and I just, it's so good. And, um, <laughs> even though, even though I couldn't remember the name of the product, I really do think it helps my brain work better. But, um, so yeah. what, what would you like, like if you could, what would you like people to know about your company or you or what we need? What is the most important thing you'd like people to know right now about what you got going on? Well, I, I guess, you know, what's uh, my message is in, in the company is that um, if, you're, if you're challenged with a non-optimized mood, mind, and memory, there's plenty of things that can be done to upgrade your mood, mind, and memory. Um, take a look at our product line, um, brainbean.com, brain-bean.com. I've got videos with, I would say, 90% of the products. So you'll get a little explainer video on, on what the product is and how it might be able to help you. Um, sign up for uh, our emails and our newsletters so that you can actually stay in touch with us. Consider using one of our, we have a blood test that you can take and that will measure your brain omega levels. And so you can, it's a home-based test that you can use and you can start to quantify where you're at just with your brain omega. If you want a simple, actionable thing to do, you could take a brain omega test. We'll give you the results. We'll tell you what to do. And then you can go out there and you can start to make inroads into improving your mood, mind, and memory by changing your brain omega level uh, on your blood test. And you, you can test that once to twice per year and just maintaining that and keeping that or optimizing that um, will go a long way, um, especially if you use our Brain Omega product because of the research that supports the ingredients that we have in there. So um, I think we're in challenging times. I think that um, the more people that have a, a strong um, uh, mental capacity are going to be able to endure these times better than if they don't. And so you want to do everything within your power to improve your, uh, your mood, mind, and memory. Awesome. I was going to ask you, you know, about eating pizza. Cause, um, I think you probably know that pizza is my favorite food. And although I think you and I are in a total alignment with our philosophy of health, I'm one of those people who's not, I'm willing to do a lot of things. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, am, I quit smoking three years ago. Did I tell you that? Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. No. Yeah. 
I'm willing to do a lot of things. I exercise a lot. I'm really happy. I get a lot of really good sleep. I try to eat a lot of vegetables. But when we start talking about like processed food and bread and pasta, it's like one of those issues that I'm not quite, it's one of the topics I'm not quite ready to face, you know, in my personal responsibility uh, uh, journey, you know. So, um, I think not- I think you have so many other good at qualities and you know lifestyle inputs that you know I, perfection is not is the enemy of good and so you know you should should do what works for you um, and if you want to try and experiment with you know maybe some changes then you can take on those uh, those challenges when when the time's right. So I, I'm not here to tell anybody how to eat or how not to eat. I'm just, I know what works for me. Um, and, yeah. and I like to help to encourage people to allow them to see some, uh, some, some changes that they could institute that might make a big difference. So um, everybody goes at their own pace. Yeah. I think even if one doesn't make grand changes or, just the idea that that somebody can make a connection between um i know that when i eat certain things it's going to have a cause an immune response in my body it's going to cause my body to pull up in arms and go to war and 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 have a little bit of a cascade of side effects could be from tiredness all the way to being that final thing that says okay you're insulin now you're insulin resistant now you're diabetic or whatever it might be, right? If Mm -hmm. we can at least say, if we can at least have the link in our brain that says, I know with full knowledge what this pizza pizza is going to do to me and I'm going to do it anyway, then that's fine. But like to pretend, you know, like, but don't pretend, right? That, that you can live a certain lifestyle that's going to, that's lead you to obesity and disease and, and not actually like you're not, if you want a healthy lifestyle or a healthy outcome, you got to take steps along that way. And, 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 you know, at least making the connection that, that it is our responsibility. It is our responsibility, whether, whether people want it or not. Yeah. Right. I mean, so it's a struggle. The struggle is real every single day. I mean, I know not for you. You're just like on your mission, on your on your discipline path. Yeah, I just got to keep You're going to you're going to live to 120. Yeah. Well, I you know, I the the thing that I I don't, you know, I want to live a long time, but I also want to live healthfully during that time. So, um that's that's the other piece is Yeah, you want to be able to run and jump and fish and hike yeah. and yeah. make love and all the things. I mean, yeah. yeah. Box. Right. Box. (laughs) All right, dear. Anything else you want to put out there in the world? I, I just appreciate you and everything that you're doing. And I, hopefully this will bring some uh, enlightenment and some, uh, some insight into people's lives and what they can hopefully do and think through and uh, how to maybe achieve better results. Awesome. So people can find the products that you're talking about at brain-bean.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you also, do you have a YouTube channel? 
we do have a YouTube. That's where all of our product videos are. So I think it's, mm-hmm. it's like Brain Bean. Um, I think it's just Brain Bean. Um, so, <laughs> so just just go to the the website, and that'll link to everything, the yeah, videos and the information. And yep. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, thank you, dear. Have a good rest of your weekend. Okay. You too. Talk to you soon.